With all the controversy surrounding Apple rejecting the Podcaster app from iTunes, we thought it would be a perfect time to have a chat with the app developer, Alex Sokransky. My name is Tim Robertson, and you're listening to the weekly MyMac Podcast, number 201. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com Podcast. And it's the 201st episode of the MyMac Podcast. This is going to be a really uh, feature-packed show. We've got a lot of people on the show this week, so we're going to jump right into the big story, of course. Let me first introduce our current cast of characters. Owen Rubin is joining us this week. Hello, Owen Rubin. Hey, good to be back. Good to have you back. Neil Monks, I listened to you last week talking to David Cohen. Like hearing you so much. I invited you to be on the show this week, so I really want to thank you for coming on, man. Thanks, Tim, and thanks for inviting me. And David Cohen, you're back with us. I'm back, yep. And we have a special guest this week, Alex... <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. Alex Sakransky. Hello, Alex. Hi, everybody. How you doing? My my voice... I knew how to say your last name, but the problem was my voice started cracking right then. <laughs> you got nervous. It's all right. I'm just... That's all right. Absolutely. It's my first time doing a podcast. So, you know, <laughs> nerves, butterflies, that sort of thing. Now, Alex is uh, an iPhone developer, and honestly, Alex, it seems like the last two weeks... All the Mac news has been about you and your application podcaster. Let's let's start right there. Um, number one, I, I have to say right up front, I've had this application for, you sent it to me about, a, what, a month ago? Yeah, that sounds about right. About a month ago, and we invited you to be on the podcast at that time to come on and talk about this, I thought, a really cool application. Um, it was kind of funny because you sent me uh, the URL, how to download it, how to install it, and I did, and it was working great. And then I get another email from you not long after saying, ooh, don't install that one. I found a bug. Install this version. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's working great. I don't know what the problem is, but okay. It was probably like a little thing that you would have maybe found a month later if you happened to do some sort of feature. But I, I, I was doing a lot of updates back then. Maybe like once a day I was pushing up an install so everybody could test it. Well, let me start with the, uh, before we get to all the controversy and all that, uh, what was the inspiration to come up with this application? Uh, well, basically, I just wanted to get my podcast. I don't think I would have built the app if I could sync with multiple computers, multiple libraries, but uh, basically, I wanted to listen to my podcast on my way home from work, and so I, you know, I needed some to, 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 not, to bypass syncing with my home computer. Like you could with a lot of other content for the iPhone, PDFs and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I was streaming... But, I mean, it got to, to be a little bit of a hassle to keep going to the individual podcast feeds and clicking on their links. And, you know, sometimes it would stream, sometimes it wouldn't. So, basically, your application allows uh, a user to search for a podcast uh, and kind of subscribe to it right through the application. Yeah, I mean, you, I put that in for convenience. Really, the, the way that I thought everybody would be subscribing was... Everybody's already got their feed set up in iTunes, so I thought everybody would just export them. But I did put in the option to search just in case you were away. You know, from a computer, you wanted to add something. Uh, I, I found it very uh, intuitive. I, it seemed to me like it was the type of application that Apple would be very happy to include on the iPhone because it, it allows someone like me. Yes, I, I produce a podcast myself, but I actually listen to a lot of other podcasts. If I'm not near my computer and it's been a couple of days, I like to hear a new podcast. This was this was excellent. This is exactly what I wanted to do. 
And in fact, when Apple first released uh, iTunes over um, Wi-Fi for the iPhone, I thought that you know you'd be able to get podcasts that way. But they never built in getting podcasts outside of iTunes functionality into the iPhone ever. Yeah, it's never been there. Yeah, it's gotten. I thought they were going to put in when they put out the iTunes Store with, I guess, as soon as, with like version uh, firmware one point four, they put up the iTunes Store. I just always thought that was going to be part of it. It would have made sense to me. I mean, obviously, there's a chance that you're going to get duplicates if I download something on the iPhone and I get home and iTunes syncs up and, oh, you've got to copy this already. But I didn't think that was going to be that big of a deal. So I think that your your application fit uh, a need a lot of people had with the iPhone and the iPod Touch. So what happened? Well, I, I guess Apple just uh, they didn't like it. I guess it was... Like a lot of people said, in their gray area, and when you go into that gray gray area with applications, I guess they tend to get a little, uh, um, you know, they just want to hold on to that space. Hmm. Now, Owen, you you worked at Apple a long time ago. I did. Um, are you really familiar with what's going? What we're talking about? What happened here? Yes. In fact, okay. I, have you seen the the Joy of Tech cartoon little drawing about how you get an iPod? I mean, an application on the i iPhone. Yeah, yes, I have. Great. But go ahead and describe I, I, it. I'm curious to know: was this? Could it be used as a flashlight? I mean, that's 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 right. So basically, it's a it's a flowchart that says, "Is it an app?" And when you say no, it says, "Does it call itself a flashlight?" If the answer is yes, you get accepted. Um, <laughs> if it, if you're not sure it's an app, but can be used as a flashlight, it still get accepted. And it goes all the way down to saying, "Is Victor Wang grumpy today?" Yes, get rejected. I'm too scared to chat. Rejected. Is he even in the office? Rejected. <laughs> <laughs> I think it says there is the app really good and everybody's going to enjoy using it. Rejected. Rejected. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. And it says uh, app is really useful, but for some reason we feel threatened by it. Not today. We're being nice. Accepted. So now, did you uh, do you feel like the big uh, threatening guy to Apple, Alex? I mean, you you think Apple's looking at you, going, "Oh my God, what, what's Alex going to create next?" <laughs> I, I mean, I, I doubt that they're they're saying that. I just. Uh, you know, I, I built an application. I didn't think that it was going to ever compete with iTunes. I mean, iTunes is an enormous. That's where everybody goes. There's really no replacement for it. There's This was just like an add-on. Like, when you when you could listen and sync to your home computer, do it. But if you can't, this was like a backup for you. So, I mean, I thought it would be good to, to have it on everybody's phone that would kind of make people want to get the phone. Okay, help me out because I'm not an iPhone owner. I, I, yeah. Because I can't use AT&T where I live, actually. AT&T, I hope they're listening. Uh, I live in the middle of a large city, but I can't get AT&T. Um, I assumed you could sync it with multiple computers. That's not the case? No. No, you can only sync it uh, for content with, with one computer, just like an iPod. Wow. Okay. And well, you can't, you also, yeah, well, the current iPods now, you can set it to a manual mode, so you can drag things onto them, uh, but you can't do that with the iPhone either. So, um, oh. effectively, once you're away from your your main sync computer, um, you are reliant on, you know, anything you can do actually on the phone to get content on there. Uh, and uh, obviously, as as they come shipping out the box, they don't support loading app, uh, loading um, anything other than streaming uh, streaming media to the iPhone while it's while it's away from the computer. Wow, I, that's just stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. And and then hence a good application like Podcaster that would allow you to get your content when you're away from your computer. So this basically downloads it downloads an, a yep. podcast and and stores it in your library. 
Yes, and it will actually play it as well. Yeah. So, so Alex, when when you first received the rejection, I mean, were you were you surprised, and and did you have an opportunity to, you know, have any sort of dialogue with them or exchange emails back and forth to try and get anything more than the than the well publicised, um, you know, this this uh, duplicates iTunes functionality, and that's why we've rejected it. Um. Well, at first, when they rejected it, the email that I actually got um, said that. I submitted my podcast to the wrong place. It shouldn't be submitted to iTunes. And I thought that was really odd because, you know, I submitted an app, not a podcast. <laughs> so I emailed them back and I, I kind of, you know, really calmly explained to them that, you know, it's an iPhone application. It doesn't belong on the podcast directory. And when they got back to me, that's when they wrote that it duplicates podcast, you know, iTunes functionality. And uh, they told me that I, you know, that was that was it. I haven't heard from them ever since that. <laughs> that that was the last contact Apple's made with you. Mm-hmm. That was last Friday. As a developer, there's no recourse for you to resubmit it to to get clarification to get a second opinion from somebody else at Apple. It's just a. I nope, could resubmit it. I could resubmit it. But is the resubmission for uh, bug fixes and stuff like that? That was my understanding. That if you resubmit it. That's to fix a bug that they found, said, oh, we can't accept it because of X, Y, and C. But can you resubmit it as as is and just hope it goes through another person in the approval process? Um, well, at the time, I guess I was, uh, I was a little upset that that happened, so I actually ended up changing the description because maybe they, the way I, I worded the description, it made it sound like a competitor, right? And so I changed the description and I resubmitted it, but it was the same executable. You know, it was the same binary file. So I don't know if that's going to really make a difference. I just did right. it. You know, you can't. Uh, the worst they could say is no again, I guess. And and obviously, you, you since then it, it's kind of it's hit the blogosphere and has, has blown up into something that's been quite widely discussed and talked about. I mean, I must have heard probably at least five or six separate conversations over the last few days on various different podcasts about, about the situation, and there's been a lot of blog stuff as well. So, I mean, is, was, was, that, was that something that you, um, you know, I mean, when you, when you publicized what happened, you kind of expected to happen, or did you, you know, did you, did you want to get published in that, or is this kind of taking you by surprise that everyone has, has, uh, has sort of taken up the calls and the debate? Oh, David, that's a really good question. I mean... The, the reason that I posted up to – I already had an application with podcaster.fm, which was a web application that allowed you to stream podcasts. And right. so I was kind of – a lot of those people, a lot of those users knew I was doing a native app. And so I was keeping them constantly in the loop. So really that blog post that I posted was meant for them. Now, right. I guess um, I didn't realize that it was going to be such a controversial decision. You know, To me, it just sounded like another rejection and that was going to be the end of it. But I guess it was a lot more than that to a lot of people, and you know. It- yeah, I think a lot of people, at least from my opinion, and, and from what I'm seeing going on in, in the blogosphere and in the podcast world, a lot of people took this to mean that Apple's kind of being a little heavy-handed with their developers. And uh, Neil, you wrote about this. You said uh, iPhone app censorship is it overreaction? I did indeed. And what's your opinion? Do you think that we're all just kind of overreacting to this, or do you think there's some valid points on both sides? Well, I think I, 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 if you're asking me, do I think that Alex has been treated unfairly? Do do I think that Apple have made a mistake by rejecting his application? 
I'm, I'm sympathetic to that point of view. I think you're probably, I probably, they did make a mistake by, by rejecting it. I don't think Apple are doing themselves any favors by alienating developers. I think what my criticism of the blogosphere, if you want to put it that way, is, is that they're looking at the iPhone as if it's a platform for which developers should be producing software. And I think that's missing the point of what the iPhone is. Uh, you're going to have to explain that. Thought, yeah. Okay, well, the iPhone is not being sold as a device with an operating system onto which people are expected to walk around and use it in the same sort of way that they would use a Windows PC or a Macintosh. It's sold as an appliance, as a, as a cell phone with a built-in iPod and a built-in camera and various other bits and bobs, but it isn't being sold as a computing platform. You don't think and, so? Wow, I, I would say not. I would say six months ago that's true. I would say today that's not true anymore. Well, I would agree I, with I, Owen, but the, go on, Neil. I want to I want to hear. I you think out. the po- I think the point. I, I think what we're missing here is that the five of us here um, are computer geeks. We're people who enjoy messing around with hardware. We're not the 99% of people who buy Macintoshes or who buy iPhones. Most of the people who are buying iPhones are buying them as telephone iPod combinations. What they want is a telephone that plays music and does a bunch of other things. If they can add on a few little doodads that do useful things for them, that's great. But I don't think that's what the majority of people are buying iPhones for. Go ahead, Owen. Oh, go I, ahead, David. Oh, so, 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 Neil, I, I think what you're trying to suggest is that um, the iPhone, you, the iPhone App Store, is a value add to the iPhone, but it's not, um, it's not its be all and end all. So, whereas, whereas a Mac is a general purpose computing device, you would say the iPhone is principally what Apple wants it to be, and the App Store is kind of an, uh, an an adjunct to that that you know gives gives people a bit of extra value and consequently that means the the you know apple's approach to the the rules about what you can and can't do with it is is a lot more restrictive yeah pretty much i mean okay. apple isn't obliged to make the iphone an open platform for which people like alex can develop software and then sell that software on the back of the research and development and the promotion that apple are doing for the iPhone. That they can do it at all, I think, is nice. Um, And as I said in my blog piece, I think in the long term, I think people like Alex are going to be essential for the iPhone if it's going to keep its predominant position. I think Apple are shooting themselves in the foot if they prevent people like Alex from developing useful third-party applications. Um, Yeah. What I'm saying... Here's... my contention to that is, though, that Apple isn't just allowing Alex here to develop for the iPhone. Alex has to pay money to develop and release his software for the iPhone. It was $99, correct, Alex? Uh, yeah, that's right. It was $99 um, to join for a year. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's not like Apple's doing this um, generously saying, yeah, you can you can develop and... You know, sometimes we'll you know approve your stuff. Sometimes we will he, he has to pay for the privilege to to develop for the iPhone. Yes. There's no set guidelines out there that I've seen, and I am an iPhone developer too, and at least in name and <laughs> not in skill. Um, there's nothing out there that says this is exactly the type of application you cannot hey, Tim, develop. 
Tim, we'll come back to that when you get rejected, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Hopefully it won't, but I'm kind of prepared for it now, thanks to Alex, unfortunately. Well, I, I was um, kind of like halfway ready to be rejected, but with a reason that I would be able to address and resubmit. Yeah. Why, why I, did you I, think that you were going to be rejected? Why was that in the back of your mind to begin well, with? Well, I always thought maybe the, the downloading, uh, I did never limited downloading to only Wi-Fi. Ah, so okay. I thought they might have got back to me and said, you know, can you limit that? So can yeah, I make so a yep. comment on this? I, I'd, like to, I'd like to comment on something that comes back to mind why Apple might be doing this, at least in my view. And I'm going to go way back to the video game market when Atari made the original cartridge video game. And one of the things they blamed on killing that game in the long run was the plethora of crap that appeared for it on cartridges. Mm-hmm. And they always said... Gee, you should have. Uh, Atari should have limited and controlled what got released. What Nintendo did with the, the and then Nintendo did Nintendo. it. PlayStation yeah. doesn't. Microsoft doesn't. They all do it now because they want to try to have some sense of quality control. But the key word there was quality, and this is obviously a quality product. It's not, you know, it's not something that breaks and crashes and bombs. That said, Apple used to have this. I mean, when I worked at Apple, we used to say we never develop anything inside that some developer on the outside would develop. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. <clears throat> and I wonder if here, if maybe you've stepped on a future uh, update to iTunes that they just don't want to talk about, and they're afraid that you're actually taking away their thunder on that. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, a future feature, but, I mean, there's no reason that somebody else can't do it either. I mean... This, you and I agree on that. But I guess it should be managing know, yeah. quality. I, th- I think I think what it comes down to there's a there's a couple of faults here. I mean, I've I very much seen uh, the point Neil was making about about the iPhone as an you know the App Store as a value added platform for the iPhone and not the be all and end all. But I think the problem there is that Apple has not communicated the App Store as being that. They came out and said, look, here, here's our development platform. You can develop for that. You can you know you can get all your uh, get all your applications on there. They'll be all fantastic. They didn't say. Um, you know, they didn't emphasise, but you know, this is this is not the main deal. This is a this is a sideshow. I think the other thing they've they've also been very bad on is is you know the communications they've been they've been giving out to people on the rejections on um, the application you know the actual application supply process and the approval process has been really really poor. And um, you know, I. I, I Having seen, having I've been watching the the, the blog the blog posts, uh, Alex, and I've, having seen the email you received and and the sort of the, the depth of the explanation you received, which was basically was a couple of lines. I, I I agree with you. I don't think that's I don't think that's good enough. I think they need to uh, if they, if they're going to reject it for you know they may well have had a meeting and talked it through and and maybe it does step on something they want to do in the future or maybe it steps on something that they want to do with AT and T. Well, maybe they're worried about the music industry um, complaining about the fact that this would be a way of, of getting music onto the iPhone uh, without going through the iTunes store. Whatever the reason is, but what I think would be the they, problem with that? Well, well, that, that's a separate issue. I mean, that that would be a. Uh, I'm sure it wouldn't be a problem for Apple. I'm sure it would probably be a problem for the for the music industry because that would be a, a, a route for for non-DRM content to to get on without any source of control. But whatever the reason is, and I'm sure there's a very good business reason that Apple has come to to decide that that Alex's app doesn't. You know, they don't want to see it on the the phone. I think really, you know, the deal should be they have to sit down with. With uh, you know, with you, Alex, and say, well, look, this is this is what it is. We've got you know, without like, without 
disclosing their business secrets or whatever, they should say to you, well, we have something in the pipeline or we have something that's incompatible with or there's a whole list of reasons why your app, um, you know, is being rejected and, um, you know, and, and try and work something out with you and say, maybe you could make some changes here or maybe this is just this area which needs to be sorted out and then we could reconsider the application rather than just the flat, no, sorry, it's not good enough and, and you know, these these cryptic one line or two line descriptions that that they've come up with i just i just don't think it's fair to the developers to be honest david could i just make a couple of comments actually one's a one's a question <coughs> one's a comment um i think the, the the fact that apple are being very secretive and giving very cursory explanations is absolutely par for the course for apple um they are just appalling at communicating information outside of like keynote addresses and things um, yeah, and I think I that's an agree. ongoing battle everyone's had with Apple. Getting any kind of information out from them yeah. is very, very difficult, probably because they are anxious about letting out secrets for products that are going to come along. Or maybe it's just paranoia, one or the other. Yeah. The, the question I was going to ask, primarily for Alex and I suppose for Tim, if he's a developer as well, is whether a developer can ask up front to Apple and say, look, I want to develop an application that... Doug, you know, makes the coffee in the morning. Um, no. is, will that sell? Will that no. fly? Can I get that in there? Um, it's not built into the system at all. There's, there's no way to do that. Well, and there's no problem. way. That would be I mean, a great start. That, that would be an excellent start. And the other, the, honestly, the other uh, problem that we've run up against, the team that we have together to, to put together to create our app, and it's not even a very good app. I mean, it's, it's kind of a jokey app, but, you know, nonetheless. Fly, is it a flashlight? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's above a flashlight. No, and it's not a to-do list. It's something that hasn't uh, um, really been done yet. So, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. But the, the uh, my problem, and I and I think Alex will probably agree, is the NDA <coughs> that developers can't talk to each other. Really? You mean there's no developer program yet? Well, everything's under NDA. If if you join the developer program, you cannot talk about developing the applications with anybody, including other developers. Correct, Alex? Seriously. Well, I, I mean, I guess that's true. There still are very, very brief resources. Um, there's mailing lists. That, those are the only ones that I've been able to find that kind of help. Wait a minute. But, uh, wait, Tim, are you saying if I if I pay my 100 bucks and become an app phone developer, I mean, I have, I've downloaded the free version, that yeah. I can't talk to you about my development? Alex? Well, I'm pretty sure you can't post anything online about it. You know, you could probably talk in, in a room together, but you guys can't can't publicly share any of the information. Right. And if you came up with a great solution on, on programming hey, for the iPhone. Information about my app or information about Apple's developer program? Either. You know, yeah, that's, that's kind of... developer program. That makes sense, but... That sounds unenforceable. It does sound... Well, it, it is. It kind of is. Because like I said, if you look at the Apple mailing lists, there is plenty of... People asking for help and other people replying to them. Yeah, precisely. And I, I can't imagine any court in any country outside of the Soviet Union actually enforcing a law like that. Well, and the way they enforce it is they just would never publish your app. That's yeah, quite well, a different thing, which is Apple well, being bastards, which is, again, par for the course. So, so I want to go back to your form. comment, though, that you said that the, the, app, the, the phone is not a, an application platform. 
if you'd said that to me a year ago, I would agree with you 100%. One of the reasons Apple didn't open it up in the first place is because they wanted a stable device that didn't crash. I guess they'd yeah. watch the Palm Pilot and its problems, you know, that yeah. they, they crashes every 15 seconds. But I think today it's just the opposite. In fact, in fact, there are many articles and blogs and everything about the next level of application platform development being small handhelds exactly like the iPhone. And Steve Jobs never really uh, sold the iPhone as a cell phone. If you remember back to 2007, when I was sitting there in the audience, when Steve Jobs introduced the cell phone, the iPhone, you know, he said they wanted to make a great mobile email client and a great uh, web browsing client. And, and, oh, and we also wanted to have a phone, and boom, 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 and they do the whole shuffle thing, and, oh, look, it's the iPhone. So he never really sold it as a telephone that has a few extra functionality features. They sold it as a mobile computing platform, one for email, yes, one for browsing and, the uh, net. Yeah, Tim, I don't disagree with that. Um, but I think the reality is if you go onto the high street or you go to a shopping mall, the people who are buying iPhones are the people who are bored with the cell phone they've got now. They're not professionals who are saying, I need a mobile computing platform. Oh, I think I, I'll I buy disagree with you. I disagree oh, I mean, with you. Hang on a second. Let me just come to the next bit. Do I think it's going in that direction? As I say okay. in my post, I think absolutely. Okay. I think 10 or 20 years from now, people will have mobile internet access, computing platforms, whatever the heck they might be, as ubiquitously as they have cell phones now. And professionals, doctors, real estate agents, whatever they are, will not be able to live without them. No. Um, I th- I and think so we, I think, I think Apple we- has to get there. I yeah, think that's we do, we, we do <laughs> need to accept. We do need to accept that they've only been in this whole market for uh, a little over twelve months, um, and you know they've they've shown this year that there the, are the various areas where they need to do some learning, uh, and hopefully this this episode will be something that they learn from. But uh, just just come to you, back to you, Alex. I mean, I mean, what's your what's your position now in terms of? Uh, podcast of the application and then any further development so you have, has this put you off developing for the iphone or um you know are you still thinking about what you can do with podcaster to uh to to try and you know claw back some revenue from the effort you've put into it yeah well um you know if i didn't finish it if i found out right at the beginning that i couldn't build it i wouldn't have even bothered but uh since i already built it um I don't know if I could keep supporting it. I'm going to wait to see if I hear back from Apple, you know, in the next few weeks. I'm going to do my best to keep supporting it and keep building onto it. And for the few users that I have, I'll, I'll keep doing it for them. I'm hoping to actually go and try to develop for a couple of other platforms just because I know a lot a lot of other people out there have different platforms that would love to have this feature. Right. Yeah. And, and I take it, I mean... In, in one respect, the uh, the publicity ar- around what's happened, uh, you know, can't can't have been a bad thing for you personally in terms of it's raised your profile and, um, you know, people know who you are and what you do now, which I suppose is something you can take away from it. Well, it's definitely not been not been bad for me, but <laughs> it's been a little scary because you know I don't know if, if Apple's gonna kind of come down knocking down my door. I'm always uh, you know. It's a little scary to be in a position if there's even the slightest chance that Steve Jobs can call you on the phone because I'm I'm straight up scared of him. I would not. <laughs> He's a pussy yeah, but, cat. So wait a minute, but, it's in the store now, right? No, it's not. That's the whole point. It's not it, in I the store. It, I thought it was going to be in the store now. So it's, so is there a way to distribute it other other than in the store? Well, there's a there's an ad hoc way. Yeah, that's officially. 
They, uh, okay. they even said in their second email that go ahead and share with your friends and family using the ad hoc distribution method. And that's what I've been doing. It's a little more involved, but I don't mind, I don't mind going through the trouble. What does that mean? Um, it, it involves it getting the uh, identifier from the phone and compiling it with the program so that uh, only, yeah, only that user can install it. It's a huge pain in the you-know-what, too. I mean, it, it's nothing that I would want to have to go through every time. It's, it's kind of the method you would use if you developed uh, an application for a corporation internally and you yeah, want to it. make sure only your, your staff could get access to it. You collect their uh, unique phone IDs and then, and then bake that into the app. So, it, so, that, okay, that's, so that's kind of how you're doing it. Exactly. There's, there's the part of me that's been a hacker all my life, and, and I mean that in a positive way, but what's to stop someone, now that you can do that, from building a website where someone logs on, puts their ID in, you compile a version and download it to them? Well, that's kind of what he's doing right now. Uh, I mean, you should automate that. Well, the, the site does that to a point, but I don't, I don't want to write any, any software to start breaking into Apple's you know, <laughs> systems, so I don't, I'm just doing it by hand for now. Is the the jailbreak community at all appealing to you at this point? Uh, it is. You know, I just I don't know how much I'd have to edit the application to put it on a jailbroken phone, but I would love to get it out to those people. They've actually been asking. Um, I guess Cedia. There's some sort of framework for the iPhone. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm. I know what it is, but I, I don't. I don't have any working. Some people of have it. been asking. Some people have been asking, telling me that they'll only get it if it comes out for that. Would you, uh, do you do you think the jailbroken society of people out there they would be interested in paying money for a, a, an iPodder application? Well, it's kind of weird. You know, they already have MobileCast, which is a really good application. I mean, it, it does what Podcaster does, and it's already for the jailbroken phone. Now, it'd be great if I could start competing with them on the jailbroken phone while they start competing with me in the App Store. You know, that would be ideal. But yeah. I don't think the App Store is going to happen. Well, I think a lot of this comes down to uh, at least a perception of uh, heavy-handed Big Brother telling you no, that you can't develop this after the fact, that this is clearly not something that is competing directly with iTunes. Um, And there has been some pretty big publicity out there for other applications that's been rejected. And I think yours kind of push people over the top they're like you know what this is getting a little crazy yeah i think so, they just got fed up by the time my application yeah was- i wonder if 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 what they're just not telling you the whole story and maybe this particular app violates some contract with at&t or some other such nonsense that they're just not willing to talk about i mean i don't see why they wouldn't want to disclose that info they would put an end to all you would think people just want to get clarification on it yeah you yeah. would think at least it would well, let you know how to change it so it could be uh it could be accepted well, just a couple of weeks ago, they rejected the Pull My Finger application, which, in a lot of people's <laughs> opinion, was a very tasteless type of application. But that's a type of application that I'd, I think I would pay $0.99 cent for. I think it's kind of funny. My my little kids would get a kick out of it. But what I'm not willing to spend $0.99 cents on is, is yet another to-do list or a flashlight app, which are up there for sale on the iTunes store. So Apple's not weeding out the crap applications. They're using some method that they're just not explaining why one application is up there and another isn't, even though the, app, the quality of the application itself is great. But you know, uh, it's Pull My Finger like, looked like, like a very Nintendo. good application. Yes, exactly, just like, just Nintendo. like Nintendo. And, no, they uh, would tell you why you were, you were, you were uh, turned down, you just were rejected. Right. And as someone who's actually used Podcaster, 
And uh, I've been using it before most people even knew what it was. It's a very good application. It doesn't uh, compete with iTunes at all. It wouldn't replace iTunes for me in getting podcasts. But it was great for me to go out there. I'll give you a, a prime example of what I would use it for. Um, Kevin Smith has uh, the Smodcast. He releases it um, <coughs> whatever week it comes out on. And the following week, he releases it on iTunes. So if you go to a site, you can hear the episode that you'll get next week on iTunes. Hmm. So Podcaster was perfect. So I can hear the new app instead of waiting around for iTunes to get the newest app. So in that regard, it was perfect. So Apple can, can kind of say, well, that's kind of competing with us, but not really. Um, I just think that Apple's been a little bit heavy-handed with some developers, and there's just no kind of communication out there that's satisfying to the users or the developers, and I think that's where the problem is right now. Any chance we could get someone from Apple to speak to us on this? Well, you're the ex-Apple person. Pick up a phone, man. <laughs> Pick up the phone, Owen, and say, hey. Them. We should invite them to a podcast to talk. Yeah, because Apple is so forthcoming in, in coming yeah, on the shows. Yeah, I think the are pretty slim on this one. Yeah, hey, I know. I, uh, I can switch thinking, you know. Tim, let me just put a, a, put a put a different question out there. Would we be <laughs> reacting any differently if this was Microsoft who had said this? Oh, I think um, so. I think I think people would have been even more upset. Ah, and, see, and I think a lot would, of people would have said, "Well, that's just like Microsoft." Alex, you <laughs> want to say something to that? Well, would Microsoft pull? Does Microsoft pull apps from their phone, or is it just? I didn't think they had a. I didn't think they were controlling the apps at all, so I don't know don't. if they would even be in a I position don't. like that. Sorry, Alex, I, I, mean, I, I didn't mean specifically that they would be pulling the rug from underneath developers' feet, although they do do that from time to time. I mean, what, what Apple are doing, what we're accusing Apple of doing, is promoting this fear, uncertainty, and doubt. They're creating an environment where developers don't know what they can do and make <clears> money from. Um, and that fear, uncertainty, and doubt is something which is very associated with Microsoft. But because we're all Apple fans, we tend to we tend to hold Apple a to a higher standard. And I don't. Th I've I've said this repeatedly, again and again and again, in, in articles and blog posts. I don't believe Apple deserve that that belief. They they play at a higher standard. I think they can be as much of a bastard as Microsoft. And, and I have been. This, and have been. And yeah. I think they're doing something here. They're playing hardball. They're not being nice to the little people, of which Alex is one. Because it's not in the, they don't they, there's nothing for them to lose or at least they don't perceive at the moment there's anything for them to lose. Interesting. And I and I think that what you're talking about, Neil, is anti-competitive behavior, Absolutely. which Microsoft has been guilty of in the past, Absolutely. and they've gotten trouble for that in the past. And I think <clears throat> if Apple doesn't tread a little bit more lightly, at least with the developer programs that they got going right now, they're going to face some of the same problems that Microsoft did. Not to the extent that Microsoft did, but they are going to have some of those problems. All it takes is one person in, in Washington, D.C. getting a whiff of this saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not right, and moving in and starting an investigation. And it could yes. start with something as simple as the podcaster app. As sad as, sad as it is, Tim, it's easily defendable because it's their closed platform. Well, that's what biggest, it comes down to. Yeah, the biggest change Apple could make here if they really wanted to stop pissing people off a little bit was not charge you the $99 until you actually get one published on the site. Because then they can say, look, there's no there's no risk involved until you publish, and then it's $99. Um, that would, that, if they changed it like that, then you couldn't sit here and gripe. I think the biggest problem is that you pay in advance for an unknown, and I, I find that problematic myself. 
Yeah. yeah, but you can understand why they're doing that, Owen. They're doing Absolutely. that to drive away casual developers who they're Absolutely. not interested in. Absolutely. But, I mean, the problem is that 99 bucks is not much of a deterrent. Okay. You know, Alex, how much was your app going to sell for? It's going to sell for $5 in the app store. Sorry. So you needed 20, 20 downloads, which you'd get easily and you get your money back. So there's not a whole lot of deterrent in, no, in, I uh, agree. in, in $99. I mean, they're not really going to scare anybody away. You know, I mean, look, the beer mug was how many beer mugs have been sold, right? That, to me, that's a casual developer. Okay. Yep. So I don't think they're really getting what they want to do with that. I think they just need to hold off, either hold off on their charge or be more forthcoming on why you may get rejected. Uh, and in a case like this, I just don't understand it. To say it competes with, with a functionality they don't have is incorrect. Isn't that Apple admitting that they're being anti competitive when they say, well, this competes with our product and we want to be anti-competitive and not allow you to do that. Of course it is. Yeah. So well, do you think that's well, actionable? I, 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 no, I, I, I think we need to be careful about what we say here. Um, you know, all the developers have signed an agreement. I think everyone needs to be completely clear whether there's any legal nuance in the agreement that can be applied to what's happened here. But so those agreements are one. always going to be in Apple's favor. They wrote well, them. Well, that's fair yeah. enough. But nevertheless, right. everybody who, who paid their $1,900 signed them and said that they would they would abide by them. So if, if there's something buried in the small print in there that, that is applicable to this um, or to this sort of situation, then, then everyone has to except that, that it may be there. I'm not saying it's, it's out in the open, because obviously if it was out in the open, everyone would know about it, but there may be something that, from a legal point of view, could be interpreted like that. I think that's point one. I think one. you're 100% right. I yeah, think the I, other thing as well... Too. I think the other thing is as well is, it, is it, it's impossible to accuse Apple of being deliberately anti-competitive unless you're absolutely certain what the reasons behind the rejection were. But in, um, the, in this... In this persist- Specific case, Alec has a letter from Apple saying this duplicates functionality in our own application and thus we're going to reject it. That is, to me, the definition of being anti-competitive. Well, given that there's so many apps up there that duplicate functionality, it's not like that they, they seem to only care if you duplicate their functionality, right? Exactly. Go ahead, Alex. Well, I heard that they, they might be trying to just set a precedent, precedent so that maybe... Um, uh, Amazon can't come in, build a store. Um, whoever else can't just come in and build build their own store that'll take away business from iTunes. I think that's what it comes down to. And that very well could be. Do you accept that, though, as a valid reason for your application being rejected? Well, no, of course <clears> not. But I think the reality of it is that that's what it is. Yeah. But I think well, I that's coming back down to, Tim, is my argument that the iPhone at the moment is not a platform in, in, a, in a mature sense. If it was a platform that was going to encourage developers to come into it with imaginative, useful programs, it would have to be something where anybody can load anything they want onto it, just like we can go buy a CD from any store, not just an Apple store, and load it into our MacBook Pros and off we go. At the moment, it isn't like that. It isn't only because Apple controls the distribution uh, to an extent, but I think Apple is... I know, I know, but I think Apple is positioning it that way, though. I mean, if you just look at the the recent ads, and it's all about games. Yes. Yeah. So I yeah. think Apple is really starting to position this as more than just a cell phone. It's it's a gaming platform. It's a computing platform with you know to do lists and and all these other type of applications, and they're starting to reject some applications 
for dubious reasons. I, I just want to be a bit critical about that, Tim, very slightly, because you're seeing it from a U.S. perspective where the cell phone market is very different to, say, South Korea or Japan or even yes. parts of Europe. If you, if you ride on the subway trains in Tokyo, you will see a hundred different cell phones, all of which do a variety of things down to watch television, um, let alone and play games. It allows game. you to buy a pop. Yeah. yeah, they do amazing things. So if you take an iPhone to, say, Japan or to, or to Germany or places where they have a very, very developed uh, cell phone market, you'll see that adding a few com- you know, versions of Bejeweled and various sort of games like that is simply keeping up with what's going on. In the US, where you've got a different cell phone market, largely for historical reasons and because of the size of the country, these little bolt-on goodies you can get as applications make the set make the iPhone very very different from competing cell phones. Yes. So I think one has to be very careful about about saying well Apple are selling it as a platform because it's really very similar to cell phones in many other parts of the world. Well, so let's take a competing product, the Palm, which has been around for years and I've argued this a couple of times Apple didn't invent this actually the Palm OS did. I've had a Palm for six years where I could go get applications, anything I wanted, and added it to them. And I controlled what I downloaded to it. A Palm did not. Now, granted, it created a a platform that crashed a lot because there was no Mm -hmm. quality control. And that, to me, is a major problem. But uh, that's a completely open device. It sold very well when it came out. In fact, it was the iPhone of its day, right? Absolutely. Right, and that... Sorry, go I mean, ahead. David will David will remember. I don't know if you had these in in the in the U.S., but certainly my dad had these things in the late eighties. These things called Scion organizers. Do you remember, yeah, yeah, David? I, yeah, I had, those. I, I had those. Did you yeah. have them in the states? Yeah, but uh, and yeah, you could buy little things and plug in all kinds of programs and things, and that was a platform. Yeah, I, I, the, the difference is obviously with with a phone. It's not just the hardware manufacturer and the software manufacturer. There's a there's a carrier involved as well, and and you know the the agreements and everything are all different. Um, I, I I mean we can we can we can talk around this this point until the cows come home. I think I think the reality of the situation is is you know it is it is a closed platform that, that Apple controls and they make the decisions over over it, and that and that's. We we have yep. to, we do we do we all do have yeah. to live with it, but yeah, I think they do need they do need to to take the feedback and um, you know to say they need to be much more open. And people have been saying this to them for uh, well, really since the App Store launched now. And um, I, I really do hope, Alex, that um, you know your your experience does lead us to a situation where they do start being more uh, fair and honest with developers. And I, and I hope if if that does happen, that will at least um, vindicate you slightly and make you feel that the whole episode was was in some way worthwhile for everybody. I hope the situation, you know, somehow turns out to, to help everybody. I mean, a- Apple puts out great products. You know, I have, like, uh, all their computers. i got an Apple TV, and everybody wants to, to use the iPhone, so I guess they have the right to, to say no on it. And that's why everybody gets so mad, because they want to do whatever they want to. But, you know, p- part of it is Apple trying to keep their image alive, and part of it is, I think, just them being a little stubborn about it. Yeah, you can uh, check out uh, Podcaster at nextdayoff.com or native.podcaster.fm. I'll put a link up on show 201. I almost said one something. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I'm in the 200s on this show now. But, Alex, I want to thank you very much for being on the show with us this week. We have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined with by uh, Sam Levin and Guy. 
And we're back, and it's time for Cool Mac Picks with Sam Levin. Hello, Sam Levin. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Uh, doing great. Looks like you got three really cool picks this week. Oh, uh, yeah, I have three. I actually had a lot more, but I figured we'd have to save them up for next week. Um, but a lot of cool stuff, and they actually are not just Mac products, but they could extend to Mac. One of them, of course, is iPod-related, but it could be for Mac, it could be for PC. So let's just get into it. The uh, first one is from a company called iHome, and um, iHome makes a whole line of really cool peripherals for um, the iPod. Now, they make them for PC, Mac as well, because you can just simply plug this uh, into your um, aux jack, and it's a rotating alarm clock for the iPod, iPod Touch, and I've tested it with the i with the um, iPhone. It works great, and I really dig this, uh, Tim. It's it's unique because you can tilt it landscape or vertical. Yeah, and I'm looking at it on the website, and it comes with a remote control too. This looks pretty cool. It comes with a remote. It's a it's a dock uh, so that it will power your iPod or iPod Touch uh, or even the iPhone. But what's cool, guys, is that when you turn it. Either way, the clock positions properly, so it it understands it, that it's being it's kind of like a, an accelerometer per se. But the clock turns the right side up properly. It's got different settings for brightness. Uh, so at night, if you don't want it so bright, you can turn it down. Um, I think it's cool because you can watch movies right on your nightstand. I mean, it mm. is so. I've tried it on the um, iPod Touch. I tried it with the iPhone. I haven't tried it with the um, the Nano, the older Nano or the new Nano yet, but I suspect it will be the same. It'll work the same way. Looks the neat. Speaker is pretty darn good, and of course, you can plug this into your computer, your Mac or PC, and it will work. You know, it's a it's a speaker. Awesome. So I I like it. It's called the iHome Rotating Alarm Clock. Seventy nine ninety nine from iHome. From iHome, they make a slew of other products. Next week, we're going to talk about one or two other products that they make um, because they're pretty cool. Next is STM. STM is a company located in uh, Australia. Uh, STM Bags, and uh, they came out with a really cool uh, roller bag called the Large Rogue. And if any of you are into traveling for you know one or two days. And you need to bring your MacBook, MacBook Pro. This is for you. It's got a pretty nice size cavity inside of it for your MacBook up to a 17-inch. And it's got plenty of space for your clothes. It's it's a normal roller bag uh, that has the container in the area for your MacBook Pro. I tell you, that's something that I can use because I've got some cheap rollerway bag that uh, I've been using for a while that I got at Best Buy and it's just a piece of crap. It doesn't work. This is, uh, STM is known, they've been been making bags for a while, but not roller bags per se. Well, they have I think for a couple years, but this is a bigger version. This is this is the Rogue, Large Rogue, as they call it. And it's built really well. I can tell you it's built well because their last roller that they did, uh, I actually gave one to Robert Scoble, and he traveled around the world with it. And he said, Sam, i got to tell you, I beat that up, and the thing lasted. And he carries camera gear and all sorts of junk. But if you go to the website, uh, we listed the URL. You'll see all the different compartments. The rollers on it are like 
rollers from um, Rollerblade. Yeah, I was going to say, they look very tough. I mean, they don't look like the cheap plastic no, ones that you usually find on these bags. They're not. It's it's worth the price. I believe it's about 169 That's the uh, the retail. You could find it cheaper online. Um, I, I looked at a number of places online. And they make a whole slew of bags that support MacBook, MacBook Pro, um, other types of cool handbags as well, or, or messenger-type bags. Um, STM... They're just a bunch of really cool people that, and they're also Mac people. They carry Macs everywhere they go. So check it out. It's called STM Large Rogue Roller. And then last up, our friends at Smile on My Mac came up with a new update to PDF Pen Pro. And I think I, I went over their stuff before, but yep. this is brand new. It's PDF Pen Pro 4.0. And I thought we should just tell everyone about the update. Uh, it's still $99 for the, the product for the Pro version. They have a cheaper version that's just called PDF Pen, but this now has OCR built into it. So hmm. um, PDF Pen I use all the time to edit PDFs. It's, it's, they do a really good job. If you want to edit um, and you want to put your you know signatures on PDFs, you can do that. And now it's got OCR built into it. So... I think it's a worthy, there's an upgrade price if you have the older version, but if you go onto the site, you'll see the different features. They've just done a really good job, and of course, they're hardcore Mac people. Um, that's, that's where they came from. They, they came from Apple, uh, and they just make really great productivity software. So check out Smile on My Mac. We listed the URL, and um, we'll do some fun stuff with these guys later. Looks like an application. I'll have to check that out myself because I have a, a pretty big need of manipulating PDFs myself. I do have Acrobat yeah. Pro, but you know, if this has a lot smaller overhead, I'm definitely interested. Well, there's Acrobat Pro. Correct me. It's like uh, 500 bucks, or yeah, yeah, it's not cheap. It's yeah, 500 dollars. No, and it's a it's a great product. I mean, they've done they refined it. Adobe's done a great job, but for $99, you can get some of the core features. And maybe there's certain things that you really don't need and that Acrobat uh, has, and this is this is good enough. Um, but I've been using PDF Pen Pro for years, and it works. These guys know their stuff, and it will read all your standard PDFs. Go onto the site and check it out. I think they've done a very, very solid job. Next week... We're going to go over other accessories and um, maybe some um, some apps and maybe some iPhone goodies. Why not? Cool. That's well, it. thanks for being on the show this week, Sam. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll be right back. Thanks, guys. And we're back. One of the things that we want to definitely tell you guys about is our sponsor, Otherworld Computing. You can check them out at MacSales.com. One of the problems that I had with an older Mac that I plugged in the other day is it wouldn't keep the time. David, have you ever had that where your Mac just will not keep the time correctly? Yeah, and it's really irritating. Yep. You reboot and it's it's 1972 again. That's right. It's not just the time. (laughs) Actually, uh, the Mac, depending on which which model of Mac you've got, you find that it will store other OS settings uh, in the same area of memory, and, and you lose those as well every time you reboot. Well, a lot of people don't realize there's actually a battery in every single Macintosh out there that keeps all that information. So if you unplug the machine and move it to another location and plug it back in, mysteriously your Mac still knows what time it is, what date it is. I have one in my hand right now. 
a, a Mac or a battery? A little battery. A little Lots battery. Well, <laughs> yeah. There, the, in the, here's the thing. There's been so many different Macs in, over the years that there's a lot of different batteries. Yep. So if your Mac starts exhibiting these strange behaviors that it doesn't know what year it is, it doesn't realize what time it is, your battery's probably gone. Go up to Otherworld Computing and simply do a search for battery, and you're going to find the battery you need for your particular Macintosh because... OWC carries pretty much every battery you could possibly imagine for these machines. So that's my pick of the week for Otherworld Computing. Replace your battery. It's probably something that you should probably do. If you've got a Mac that's over five years old, it might be time to replace yeah. that battery. It's worth um, those batteries known as Pram batteries. Yes. Um, just for people laptops, you don't confuse them with the main battery for the for the computer. Yes, we're not talking about replacing that one. Although, if your machine's five years old and that battery's still going, it's it's probably not going to be going for very long. No. Neil, what's the longest you've ever had a, a battery work in a Mac? Oh, gosh. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> I have No some, idea? No, well, I do know. I've got some that are still using the battery they came with in about 1998. <laughs> so about, about 10 years. Wait a minute. My Mac LC is on. It still has the original battery in it. It still works. Yeah, I'm talking about a PowerBook 3400, which has still got its battery after a fashion yeah. work. Oh, so I, they can I, I last also forever. Have, I also I mean, have they can a, last I've, a jolly long time. Yeah, I've got a G3 Kanga, that, that, uh, so that's around about the same vintage as the yes. 3400, and that's got the original battery in it. I still get about an hour out of that. It's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. One of the things with the laptop batteries that you can squeeze a bit of extra life out of them is to keep them in the fridge when you're not using them. A lot of people make the mistake of storing them at room temperature. And then if you've no, got backup, what, what, you've got secondary batteries for laptops, it's pretty good to keep them in I, the fridge. I thought that wasn't true with lithium batteries. Uh, may not be for lithium. Well, oh, yeah. I think it's better for any battery simply because the cooler they are, the slower the chemical reaction. Slower the chemical, yeah. That's, yeah. that's right. I keep mean, mind, there may be smaller differences, but, but, it, it, but it's... The, yeah, the old, the older, the older power books though won't have lithium batteries. I mean, they're all uh, nickel metal hydride or nickel nickel yeah. cadmium. So, well, let's uh, talk I about bl- actually, actually those little those little one inch batteries, those little tiny ones that used to be pink. Mm-hmm. That's what they replaced them with was lithium batteries. So that's the one I, I have one in my hand. So I was just looking right. at it. Well, let's talk about what's going on in the Mac world uh, briefly before we wrap up the show. Going on right now in Paris is the Apple Expo. Uh, you're a little closer to that than we are, David and Neil. Anything yep. going on over there that you're hearing? Uh, no, it's been um, it's received no coverage whatsoever, principally because Apple aren't there. Um, they haven't been for a couple of years now, uh, and um, you know they they seem to have pretty much retrenched back into U.S. only uh, keynote speeches. You know, kind of like what we saw for the iPods last week rather than coming out to these shows over here. Do you think, Neil, that yeah. it would have been a good idea for Apple to release the the new Touch if they would have gone to this expo and, and released it there? Would it have been fun for us? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Does, <laughs> was it, would it have been good for Apple? Perhaps not. I'm sure, I mean, they, they do know what they're doing with marketing by and large. And for whatever reason, Europe doesn't tend to fe- feature in their marketing plans, does it, David? No, I mean, you know, they, it's been a while since they since they launched anything at at the Paris Expo. The Paris Expo has always been been a bigger bigger show than anything they've done here in the UK. Um, but yeah, it's been a few years since they launched anything or announced anything there. And I think it's it's purely because 
you know, they can get all the coverage they want just by doing things in uh, in Cupertino, and uh, obviously it means that the you know the chief the, the senior execs don't have to travel. Yeah. Do other companies announce there? I haven't heard anything myself. There's, there's been uh, there's been very little that I've heard from 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 Paris this week, apart from what you know the coverage we've had up on our on our site. Speaking of, uh, we do have four articles as we're recording this. We're going to have a fifth, possibly a sixth by tomorrow, and it's called Paris Mac Expo. I can't tell you who's reporting for us because he's incognito. Uh, we can't give his real name, so we just call him Mister Paris. And we've got four articles up there right now. Real good pictures from the showroom floor. Um, it's interesting. He, I, the one that I found the most interesting was the iOmega. I can't believe iOmega is still in business. Yeah. Well, not I, after I, their zip drives. I mean, oh. I've endless struggles with USB zip drives. I can't begin to describe. Oh, yes, you can with me. Um, it, oh, it's funny you should idea. mention them. It's funny you should mention them, Tim. I have a stack of Jazz cartridges here. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jazz, a, a one gigabyte cartridge was huge? And it was $99. And I have a cartridge. stack of them, and I'm trying to just like copy what I want off them so I can stop using this drive. But. I have um, a, a little bit of a personal history. I never get credit for this, um, and that's probably a good thing. But I wrote an article years and years ago uh, when the iOmega zip drive was all the rage. Everyone was loving the zip drive. Yes. And I was having problems with it, and it started clicking on me. Oh, the click of and death. It, that's, that's my point. And I said in my article, and I had never read this anywhere before, I said it's starting to make this clicking sound, and to me that means it's the click of death. My, my zip drive is going to die, or the, the zip disk is going to die. And so I actually I take credit for the click of death name. <laughs> Can I just say I a little that. something? Let me just say a little something in defense of zip drives. If you have one of the original scuzzy ones, the 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 old blue purpley colored things, yep. and you happen to have an old Mac that doesn't have a built-in hard drive or a very small hard drive, they make they make the most fantastic external hard drives for old Mac SEs, Mac Pluses, yeah. and things. Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. Uh, and it's about the only situation where I can still I still recommend zip drives. They're great for that. They're faster than any built-in drive you'll get. That's a that vintage Mac. Yeah, I. But yeah, There's I was the one that, that got coined. Go ahead, Owen. No, I say I have an old G3 sitting on, in front of me right now. I've been playing with it. Actually, has the zip drive built in. Yes, I remember those. That big square base tower. Yeah, right? but I was I, as far as I as far as I know, I was the first one to to name it the Click of Death, and uh, I think it was that issue or the issue before we had an article or an interview with David Pogue, and then he mentioned Click of Death in in uh, MacWorld right after that. So I was like, wait a minute, he he had to have picked that up for me because I was the one that used that. <laughs> and then of course it went worldwide; everybody knew what the Click of Death was. Now, what was, like, was hey. it, though, Tim? Was it the, was it the, the, the discs themselves sucked, or was it something wrong with the drive with the hardware? No, it it, it it was a combination. From what I remember, and you got to remember, this is going back at least what eleven, twelve years. Easy. Um, if your disc got dirty, mm-hmm. it would literally ruin the head in in the drive itself. So oh. it was kind of a combination of the two. If you started getting the click of death, you had to pull out that disc immediately. And don't put another disc in there because it would ruin any subsequent disc that yeah. you did put in. It would drag and, stuff across them, yeah. Yes, and, and it was it was horrible. And I think I went through four or five of those uh, zip drives before I finally just gave it up and, and didn't bother. But around the same time that I started getting so sick of it that I was going to throw it against the wall, CDRs came out. So 
and that pretty much killed it because uh, the zip disk was ten bucks for one you- blank one hundred megabyte disk. Yes, you can get a package of six hundred fifty megabyte CDRs for less than half of that. So it. You know, the CDR killed the zip disk pretty quickly. Well, if you want to and talk I, about obsolete technology, I have a magneto optical drive. Good gracious <laughs> me. You remember the Next Cube? It played those Next Cube discs. It was, this was a SCSI drive for Mac that was an MO. Huh, Wasn't SCSI it, fun, though? Doesn't that take you back? No, I, it does. I still have a SCSI card in one of my Macs. I still. Uh, you know, I did up until uh, my first G5. That was the last machine that I actually had a SCSI card in it for, and I don't know why. I never use a SCSI. Well, no, I take that back. I had a 10,000 RPM Barracuda drive that was like, I don't know, one or two gigabytes. It was pretty small. But it was such a fast drive that I always put the operating system on that drive, on that G5, and it just booted up like you wouldn't believe it was so fast. I had a huge RAID array that was SCSI and would boot incredibly quick. Yeah. I mean, I you know, FireWire is great, um, USB is fine, but I, I, I still don't think that when you're talking about high-end systems, anything, at least for external, was as fast as SCSI. Uh, SCSI yeah. was just quick. But the problem was, of course, you, you'd run into compatibility problems, or, you know, if you had two drives on the same chain that was, you know, one's same a slave, ID. one's a, yeah, same ID, and same ID. ugh, it, it was a nightmare. It really was. I, I can clearly remember pulling the pins out of discs and trying to, oh, well, let's try this one. <laughs> Early Macs, you could put six drives out there on a single chain of, you know, you couldn't do it on a PC. They had two drive slots, right? So yep. It was actually pretty cool in its day. Apple released uh, Mac OS 10.5.5. Has uh, everybody updated yet? Any horror no. stories? No, it seemed to work fine. I was a bit surprised that it... I downloaded the entire... They have a 600 megabyte it's option. Huge. <laughs> it, it took forever yeah. to download. I had another computer do that. And it threatened to take 1.7 <laughs> gigabytes of my hard drive up. Yeah. After installation. It looked... So I don't know what the frack they're installing in there, but it's an awful lot of stuff. Yes, it's pretty It's pretty big. But I, I, I think it's worth, uh, worth saying, actually. I, I always prefer to download the combo update which is the largest version of the update and apply that to all my Macs rather than use software update because I Why? find sometimes if you use software update some software update sometimes you can find it, it doesn't work properly. I've never had a Mac fail to work to do an update from the combo <laughs> update whereas I have had them you know you get that thing where you run through software update and then the Mac reboots and it doesn't always come back straight yeah. away. Um, whereas you don't don't tend to get that with the combo update. So if you have yeah. if you have the time and the drive space, it's worth downloading that 650 meg file. I think. Yeah, I would agree, with David. I'd make that. I, I mean, and to burn it on a CD, do all the Macs in your house at once. You can download the 600 megabytes overnight. It just makes life a lot easier. Absolutely, it's I agree with you. And I, you know, for for us, I've got oh geez, four different laptops that I need to update, and plus the iMac. And, uh, you know, running software updater on all of them becomes kind of a big pain. But I have found, because both my daughters and my wife, they all have MacBooks now, I'm constantly, well, I don't want to say constantly, I'm often going to their machines and checking software update because they never update anything. I'm constantly going and making sure that Time Machine is still working and all their digital photos are backing up to the time capsule. And it's just a big pain in the butt still. It's, It's not intuitive or easy to do. So I do now, have one if, thing that stopped working. My USB headset for Skype doesn't work. Oh, dear. Yes, of course. 
which is why I'm um, not on my headphone right now. I wonder if that's a problem with Skype or is it ten five five? Well, it's the same Skype. That didn't update, hmm. but but the only thing's changed on both my Mac sitting in this room where they both went to ten five five and the headphones stopped working. Well, there's something in there changed then, definitely. This is a very strange headphone that I got because it has a volume control on the wire, but when you press the volume up down button, it changes the external volume on the Mac, not the volume on the headphone. Oh, that's really strange. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Huh. Did anyone notice on the release notes for 1055 there were a lot more of them than there's usually you, the case? You read those? Well, I usually yeah, read to them know myself. what the heck I'm downloading, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Apple changes so much, and for me, anyways, you know, this is a production machine. I I do my work on it. If if they're changing something drastically to an application that I'm using, I don't want to update right away. Sure. And and usually they say cryptic things like fixes, bugs, and security, blah, blah, blah. But this time they seem pretty detailed in, in listing exactly what they're changing. So what's the big change? There's a whole load of security updates. Um, there's a few extra functionality uh, improvements, um, and as Neil said, there's you know there's there's quite a comprehensive list. In particular, and I think this is quite important for uh, for listeners to be aware of. There's been some problems announced with DNS over the last few weeks, um, where it um, you know some fundamental flaws in the way DNS works has been found. That um, that means it's possible for a hacker to to poison a DNS cache and and spoof it. So if you type, you know, I don't know, PayPal.com, you can redirect to uh, to a, a phishing website, and and you can you can do that um, without the user being remotely aware of it. So all of that stuff has been dealt with. All the DNS stack oh, has good. been patched in ten five five. I wonder so, if that's going to help John Farr because on our intercompany staff email list, he's been having major problems where he'll type in you know eBay.com and he'll end up at you know. Uh, Amazon.com for yes. whatever strange reason. It did. It did sound like from the symptoms that there was something wacky with this DNS setting. So, uh, so we'll see whether that resolves this problem. Yeah, pretty yeah, strange. Just looking at their release notes, they've got about the Mac OS X 10.5.5 update. Doesn't actually seem to say anything about DNS. Got a little bit uh, about server servers and Kerberos, but doesn't actually seem to be saying explicitly anything about security and DNS. Unless I'm missing got- it. If you go up to um, the, there's a guy at MacWorld who normally, whenever there's a OS 10 update, he goes through the the check. Rob Griffin. Of, yeah, he goes through the change files and actually picks out some of the things that that are oh, going on underneath. And and I, I'm pretty sure I, I saw it mentioned there. They didn't fix that pub sub agent dialog box though. That really bothers me. I was hoping that would get fixed here. Do you guys all see that? No, nope, but you have to explain this? it. Okay, well, since I've turned on syncing, where I actually use the the mobile me between my machines, I get about every every sync interval, whatever it happens to be, a little dialog box pops up that says Pub Sub Agent wants to use login keychain. Please enter the keychain password. And there's no place to click remember this. Ooh. So every n minutes on both my machines now, I've never seen that. This thing pops up, and it, and it, there's I've been reading on the web. There's a ton of people complaining about it. And Apple seems to be ignoring it. And I was hoping 10 by 5 was going to fix it, but it did not. That is off. That's, I, I've never heard of the problem. I've never experienced it myself. It's annoying. It, 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 you get this dialogue all the time. It's the, <clears throat> what do you call that, um, um, the sync, the mobile me syncing. So my, and, you know. And, my, and you, don't, you don't get the always allow tick box in that, in that dialogue? No. 
No, uh, and no, it's you know it's got a details check and a little question mark, uh, and but it's and when I turned off the syncing, it goes away. And there's a lot curious. of people huh, complaining strange. about it. So I don't. That is very curious. But I'm I'm syncing everything, you know, like bookmarks and and smart folders and mail, and I'm trying to remember everything you can sync in there now. I think I sync about everything as well. There's a few, you know. I used to sync. Um, uh, what do you call it now? Um, uh, dashboard stuff, um, but I turned that off because that was becoming problematic for me. But other than that, I think yeah, it I syncs have, pretty I have much everything. everything. But dashboard widgets and doc items. Doc items is the other one I turned off, and not entourage notes. So, but if I turn off sync, this box, this thing goes away. You might want to try turning off uh, the entourage stuff and see if it, it is works. off. That's, it is so, off. So it's doing bookmarks, calendars, contacts, keychains, mail, notes, preferences. And actually, mm. I love the feature. It's so cool to have it just show up in both calendars. In fact, there it is. It just popped up on both machines simultaneously. It's actually very funny to watch it. It just popped up. Uh, let's talk about one last news item before we wrap up the show, and it's not Mac-related, but I think it's uh, entertaining nonetheless. Over the last, oh, I don't know, three, four weeks, everyone's been talking about the new Microsoft commercials with Bill Gates and Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, some people have said these are the stupidest commercials ever and they don't advertise anything and complete waste of time. I'm of the opinion that I was kind of finding them interesting and I was looking forward to what the big payoff is. Um, it, it turns out now, at least from everything that I'm reading, that Jerry Seinfeld has stopped doing these commercials. Well, the, the apparently Microsoft have decided to stop doing Jerry Seinfeld commercials. It doesn't sound sound like Jerry had much of a say in it. So and it, I was, guess it was Jerry that cancelled it, or it was Microsoft uh, it that cancelled Jerry. It was my, the, uh, my, my understanding was that Microsoft have decided that this is now not the direction they want the campaign to go in, and worse than that, because I, I agree with you, Tim. I, I found the I found the um, the commercials interesting, and I thought they were building towards a payoff where they were they really were trying to say, you know, look. Um, that I think I thought the ads was would the subtext of the ads were Microsoft is a misunderstood company and and the people who run Microsoft are misunderstood. I thought the whole idea of of painting uh, Bill Gates is not you know some some rich philanthropist but but it's just this guy who goes around with Jerry Seinfeld and they you know go and stay with the family and everything. I thought that was an interesting concept and I, I was interested to see how they were going to bring Microsoft the company and their products more closely into that. Um, yeah, yeah, John else. Hodgman lookalike for the replacement. Well, I think that's exactly. The they, they've, they've, they've having having <laughs> taken the negative reaction and said we're going <laughs> to stop doing this. This is after they paid Jerry Seinfeld ten million dollars. So ten million dollars for a, what? Probably what a week's work. Uh, I mean, that's probably the best payday he's ever had. Um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, that's more unique than he was even paid when he was doing Seinfeld. I'd do um, it for a year for him for that price. To be yeah, honest. exactly. <laughs> you, know, but the, you know what bothered <laughs> me about they, it though. I was, that Jerry Seinfeld used to have Max in his show. So yeah, but I don't think I, we we know that. But I don't think the ninety nine point nine nine percent of but anybody watching someone this said that was his that. You know, for, for ten million dollars. Yeah, I'd sell all my Macs and advertise PCs yeah. at the end of my well, life. That's the thing. He sold out. Right? <laughs> well, he but, was also one of the people on the uh, Think Differently campaign. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, so, he's, he's been a big Mac user for a long time, but I really don't think that's why Microsoft canned him. No, but the, the point, the point is having having canned having canned the Jerry Seinfeld ads. They've 
gone and done the absolute worst thing they could Absolutely. ever have done. Which they're going to draw attention up, to Apple. Yeah, they're going to come up with a, a response to the to the Getamac ads uh, that will That's be, stupid. no doubt, really, really lame. And, uh, you know, just... I, I, it amazes me how poorly they can manage themselves. It really does. Oh, wait, you're you're surprised that Microsoft is cop. <laughs> this is well. Cop- here's the thing: <laughs> has has Microsoft got as much um, online publicity from blog writers and the tech field for any other ad that they've done in the last ten years as they had for this? I mean, you would find this commercial, the YouTube embedded on websites all over the internet because people were posting them. And we're talking, the last one was like, what, four and a half minutes? I mean, it was an insane amount of time to watch an ad for Microsoft. Yeah. And I think it was it was really starting, in my opinion, gaining Microsoft some much-needed mind share. Absolutely. To, to counter some of the negativity that's been going on it, around that company. So what channel have these time. been showing on? Because I, I, I admit I watch too much television. And uh, I, granted, I have a PVR and I could be skipping past them, but... I've never seen one of them. I saw it on football. I've seen it on a couple of the the primetime shows. That uh, what was it? I saw it on Eureka. I saw. Eureka. I, I didn't but, see that. Yeah, I, I saw it on Eureka. I missed this week though. Um, I have to confess, I haven't seen these. I don't have a TV set, so I seem to have really missed out on something. Just well, just go on to go to YouTube and watch them on there. I mean, they're worth watching. Um, you know, because well, certainly if you're if you're if you're ever a fan of of the Seinfeld TV show, they're definitely worth watching because they very much have that that flavor. I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, Microsoft have paid all this money for ads about nothing. Um, you but know, they which, but they were saying the word Microsoft, and I think that absolutely. was the key. That, I, I, mean, I thought they were brilliant. I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant ad campaign. Yeah. I, I, I thought, I, I can't believe Microsoft would come up with something this intelligent, this smart, this hip, this outside the box. And what are they doing now? Well, I'm just looking at the Huffington Post where they're talking about this bizarrely enough. And they're making the, the comment that Seinfeld uh, was a superstar in the 1990s, but in 2008... It's just adding to Microsoft's image as being behind the times. <laughs> so well, I mean, might be you can look at this two ways. I think that's that's just that's just cheap, cynical journalism. I'm sorry. I, I actually think that's wonderful. Personally, I really do. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's very funny. Microsoft picks an old, an old uh, comic. I, it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't. They couldn't win with that. Whoever they'd have picked, they'd have picked some. You know, I know. Uh, the, the hottest comic, comic. Then everyone would go, "Oh, Microsoft! They think they're so hip because they've employed the latest guy." You know, so it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, really. That's matter. a no-win situation. I think yeah, Jerry I Seinfeld makes an excellent spokesman. Um, Although I've seen he, him live, and he makes he has a terrible live show. Um, I, I've got a couple recordings of it, and it was pretty good. So maybe it's. By the same token, I'm the biggest, well, I was, the biggest, uh, oh, what's his name, Carlin fan. Loved George Carlin, and then I saw him live about five, six years ago, a little longer than that now. Did you want to walk I, out? Uh, I was very depressed. Yeah. Um, the the entire thing played out like he was practicing for his HBO special, which is exactly what he was doing. There was no connection with the audience, but that's what we're we addressing. That's what we have yeah. with Seinfeld. It, uh, yeah. it felt like he was reading a piece of paper. Right? Yeah, he yeah. came on. He did exactly one hour and one hour to the minute. Said thank you, and he didn't, couldn't even remember what city he was in. How, you know, he couldn't say how you do in Oakland. He was at the Paramount Theater. He couldn't remember where he was, and he did this this rote thing. And then I saw a um, heard a video audio recording of him done in San Francisco. The exact same show, word for word. 
Well, yeah, I mean that's their act. They're gonna. It's not like they change up their act for. But I mean, it wasn't. There was no audience. Right. There was no connection, and that's that's the same thing with with George Carlin. There was no connection. I was kind of disappointed, and I never really looked at Carlin the same until after he died. Then I went, Oh, I love Carlin. But anyways. Uh, you don't again, think you we, guys are being a little cynical? You don't think after the after the first million, most comics have lost their edge? They've lost their. Uh, heart? I, would, I would agree with that up to a point. Although then I would point to well, I would definitely point to uh, um, uh, Eddie Murphy and seen, say he he went from being this this guy raw and delicious, and then he's you know the nutty professor, and he's on Disney Channel and stuff. So yeah, but by I the same token, you look Cosby at someone like three times, and yeah. he was always. I mean, he was into the audience. He was. You know, responding to hecklers in a way that made more people heckle. I mean, he was just into into talk yeah. to the, a rapport with the audience. He was great. So, just, but then just, I find just, some just, people like Chris Rock who hasn't lost their edge. There's there's still that cynicism in their act. There's this this no fear of you know reprisals for whatever they may say, and he's still the same way. Yeah. So. And j- yeah. But just 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 because somebody's funny, that doesn't mean that they're uh, you know they're a great stand up. I mean, no. you know, clearly but that's how Jerry Seinfeld started, though. I mean, he was a stand-up yeah. comedian. Yeah. But I, I'd see a lot of a, Do you think this was a bad move, Neil, on Microsoft's part to can these commercials after just two of them without actually have seen them yourself? I, they, they would have had, they would have had no impact on me at all. I'm afraid. I, I'm not one of those people who buys things because of celebrity. No, uh, I don't think that this was. Them. I don't think they were selling anything. I think, at least in my opinion, and this is what I thought they were trying to do, is to polish their image to to make microsoft seem maybe kind of cool again it's it's something different see i I, you probably know from from my writing that i'm not i'm not a critic of microsoft perhaps i I don't know where you other guys come from on this but i I read my stuff (laughs) well i try to follow microsoft reasonably closely i have a reasonably good working relationship with their mac business unit i know a little bit about what they do as do we. As do we. I mean, as you do know. you all, I'm sure. I, I, yep. And I'm not sure this kind of thing really makes any difference to the people that Microsoft is selling to. That's a great well, point. Yeah, I, I agree. Neil, you're you. like me. You know, you've seen, I've taken, I still have scorch marks from where I've said good things about Microsoft on the site, and some people just oh, trash boy, me. Oh, yes. You know, yeah, well, yeah, I've always I'm tried to be. I, I think people give them a bad rap at times. I mean, now Vista was a tor- horrible mistake, and someday they'll actually correct that. But. I think they get a bad rap in a lot of places. I I, I know someone has a Zune and just got the 2.0 update on. It's amazing. They actually they're, Microsoft uh, yeah, some amazing they're, they're like they're like any other large tech company. They do some things well, some yep. things not very well. They right. don't do publicity very well. I think product-wise, um, you know, they're really good in the corporate space, but you know, the, one of their failings is that is that you know they they productize too too far. They have too many different versions of everything. It's their yep. their their product line is far far too confusing. I think it, even inside on the Microsoft, software side, yeah, on the software side, and even even inside Microsoft, I know that they they struggle to understand exactly what the product line is and what you know, the software licensing terms are. You know, you know XP, here's but, that. Uh, XP was I a very good operating system. It, you know, right. it's well, it yes turned no. well. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I, Vista. Guys, well, what let, me, let me put this for you this way, though. I've got Vista running, and I'm, I, I don't have any antivirus software on that. I've never had a problem. I left a XP machine on with SP2 for like a week, and it is completely infested without doing a darn thing with the machine. So... In my opinion, XP was a piece of crap unless you stayed on top of it all the time. Whereas a, Vista is a, a virus program, and you can get them for free. On 
Yeah, but why why should I have to? Shouldn't Microsoft, the people who made the operating system, take care of that for me? Is Apple? They did what they well, yeah. I mean, I don't see a whole bunch of problems with Apple. I see uh, security yeah. updates all the time. And, yeah, I, th- and, I think this is an argument, Tim. That I, I think you're going to find difficult to convince people who've already made their minds up on. Oh, I agree. I agree with you 100. Oh, no, I'm, By the I'm same open token, to suggestions. Vista, on it. Vista. Every everyone keeps coming down on Vista, but to be honest, I think Vista is the best operating system, that, other than maybe Microsoft NT that that Microsoft's ever made. I think it's a really good operating system. Oh, can I, I just return? It. Sorry, can I just come back to the advertising for a moment? Absolutely. Um, I was just, I, 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 you know, the Office program. I, I, you've got an American version. There's a British version of it that came yep. out a little while yeah. before. Um, a, two or three years ago, Microsoft had the character who plays the David Brent. I, I've the saw, I saw those ads. They where were brilliant. Did, well, they were brilliant. Mm-hmm. They they had the, the the actor who does it, Ricky Gervais. Uh, playing David Brent at a corporate event. This wasn't yep. done as a TV show. Right it was right corporate. Yep. And that, I think, is Microsoft going for the market Microsoft needs to keep convincing in the yep. right way. So to say Microsoft can't do marketing, I think, is wrong. I think I they agree. can. But it's I, the I, I just can't figure out why... I, I thought they finally had hit it right on the head with this ad campaign. I was enjoying it as a Mac user. Uh, I use Microsoft products. I use the Xbox 360, so they get my money quite a bit. In fact, they just got another $50 a year from me for Xbox Live. Um, I, I was really enjoying these commercials. I thought that there's going to be a big payoff, and now, gone. And, and in its place, they're going to have a John Hodgman type of character. Yeah, a lookalike. A lookalike refuting the Apple ads. Absolutely, three hundred sixty degree or one hundred eighty degrees the wrong way. Well, I, the, agree I think. I think. Yeah, this is this is Microsoft's problem all over. Though they are a they're a company that's run by committee. They have difficulty in sticking to a course once they uh, once they can't commit to it. And and clearly, what's happened here? They've had some negative press, and somebody senior stepped in and said, "Right, we're going to pull this. And we're going to change the direction." And they've gone for the lowest common denominator. They've fired their existing ad agency and gone with somebody else who's just done the easy job. And uh, you know they'll end up wasting their money. But hey, it's Microsoft. They've got money to burn. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up this show because uh, we don't have a lot of money to burn, and you know, uh, bandwidth does cost a lot. And the longer the podcast, the, the bigger the downloads from the site. And, and Comcast will cut you off. Well, Comcast—they don't care. That's not who's serving the files. So. I just use Comcast to talk to you guys and then upload it to my FTP site. Uh, Owen Rubin, I want to thank you very much for being on this week. It's been it's a fun. while. And we need to get you back on more often. Just let me know when. It's fun. I enjoy it. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure to have you on. This is the first time you've been on this. Pro- you, you've never been on the podcast proper like this, have you? I have not. I do maybe one every 200, I think. Yeah, every 200. We're going to have to up that, Annie, I tell you, because uh, I really enjoy having you on. I, I really enjoyed uh, your Desert Island last week with, with David. I thought you guys had a really good rapport that I enjoyed listening to. It was great. We should definitely have you and Owen on and talk about old Max because I think you both have a passion for that. That'd be fun. And uh, David, thank you very much for covering me on this week's podcast, the times that I had to turn down the mic and have a coughing fit and blow my nose because I am sick this week. That's quite all right. (laughs) And uh, I did say earlier that Guy was going to be back with us, but uh, 
right when we brought him into the show, getting ready to record again, he had something come up. So we'll probably see Guy next week, and we'll definitely see Sam next week. And I'll be back. Dave will be back, and we'll find out what's happening next week on show one or two o two. Wow, that's gonna take me a while to get used to the whole two numbers again. <laughs> so thanks, guys, for being on, and we'll see you guys next week. Good night. Yeah. Thanks for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast.